You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome, my friends. Welcome to another edition of The Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan on this 27th day of August, 2011. I'd like to welcome all of the listeners to the podcast and invite all of you to, as always, to check into my website, CorbettReport.com, where you can find previous episodes of this podcast, as well as articles, interviews, and videos created and conducted by myself in the past, and links to alternative media websites like MediaMonarchy.com, where you can find all of the real news that's not fit to print in the establishment media. And those who have been following MediaMonarchy.com might have noted James Evan Pilato's most recent post, indicating that he is away on a short hiatus, meaning that there will be no New World next week being recorded this coming week. But the following week, we will be releasing an episode of New World next week, just a few days before the 9-11 10th anniversary, so you can bet your bottom dollar we'll have lots of 9-11 news and updates to go through at that time. So I hope you stay tuned for that, and of course, you can always find New World next week being posted to my YouTube account, youtube.com slash Corbett Report, and you can also find it in various high-quality, low-quality, audio-only, and other types of downloads at newworldnextweek.com. I'd also like to direct my listeners' attention this week to something called the Wu Wei Cafe at wuweicafe.blogspot.com. And don't worry, there will be a link from the documentation section of today's episode for you to go directly to that website. And this is a podcast that's uh, being hosted by Adam Lane. And he is, uh, I I believe, an American living in France. So uh, he has an interesting podcast. It's very, very different, I would say, than The Corbett Report, but still definitely worth listening to. And he took the time to interview me a couple of months ago. And that uh, episode of his podcast has just recently been posted. So I'd like to direct listeners to that. I think it's an interesting interview with me because it was recorded late at night and I was feeling rather retrospective and introspective that night. So it uh, it makes for a very philosophical conversation. And I think there's a nice vibe to it, and he put it together quite well with the audio and everything. So I hope people will uh, check into that interview and and check into the Wu Wei Cafe uh, generally. And uh, finally this week, I would like to once again offer my wholehearted thanks to everyone who took time out of their week over the course of the past week to contact me through the contact form on CorbettReport.com and give me your well wishes and offers of support as I attempt to make the Corbett Report my full-time endeavor from September 1st. Again, this is a huge, huge step for me, so I truly do appreciate all of the support that I've been getting in the last few days through the website. And once again, as I am still working a full-time job and juggling trying to move to a new apartment and all sorts of things are going on behind the scenes, I'm afraid I don't have time at the moment to to really respond to everyone who's uh, taken the time to write in. But I just want to let you know right here that I truly do appreciate all of those offers of support and the well wishes and all of that is greatly appreciated. So thank, thank you very much to each and every one of you listeners out there. Uh, subscribers and people who've bought the DVD and people who have just handed out this information to others or people who are just providing me moral support. Without all of you, this report truly wouldn't be possible. So thank you once again. And finally, today, of course, we have a lot of information to get through as always. So let's get straight into this jam-packed episode. Welcome, friends, to episode 197 of the Corbett Report podcast, 9-11-11. In many respects, the upcoming 10th anniversary of September 11th, 2001, is no more or less special a day than any other. It's just another day on the calendar, and no more or less worthy 
of being a day for introspection or contemplation about what happened on 9-11-2001. Nevertheless, humans are emotionally charged creatures, and anniversaries of course present us with an opportunity to once again reflect and cogitate on the events of the past. And just as the wedding anniversary or a birthday gives us an opportunity to celebrate those good things that in our past, well, anniversaries of tragic events also give us a chance to relive what happened, to think about how it's changed our lives, and to act accordingly on that information. It can be an important and very uh, valuable part of the grieving process, and for that reason, and because it is so deeply embedded in our human psychology, the social engineers know to use these anniversaries of great terror events as another chance to catapult the propaganda surrounding these events, as George W. Bush once famously put it. Sickeningly, this anniversary gives the perpetrator of the spectacular terror events that we witnessed 10 years ago another opportunity to parade on the rubble, metaphorically speaking, and bullhorn the world about how they're all going to hear from us soon. And yes, the establishment media will use this as an opportunity to once again apply another glossy layer of official story paint on the aging, decrepit, twisted, hulking frame of the 9-11 wars that have resulted over the past 10 years. There will be another attempt to rally the people around the flag and to call into question anyone who dares to say that there might be something other than what we've been told about happening behind the scenes regarding 9-11. And in general, people will be once again herded into their little box, and the establishment media will do its best to try to tell people that everything is okay, that the world is a better place because we have started all of these wars as a result of 9-11, and that anyone who has any questions about this is simply crazy. We've seen this happening more and more lately, and unfortunately, we're going to see more and more of it as we continue to approach the 10th anniversary, and I've certainly noticed it myself, and I would imagine that most of you out there have seen it yourselves. From every aspect of the establishment media, from the controlled left-right paradigm of the major mainstream networks, from ABC to CNN to Fox, I've seen more and more stories cropping up. There's an AP reporter who's now filing regular reports traveling across America, re filing reports about how 9-11 has affected various people and what the 10th anniversary means to them. NPR has even gotten into the act with a recent really absolutely despicable piece where they spent one hour on the radio program talking about the uh, conspiracy theorists who continue to believe that there are questions about 9-11, despite all of the facts that the 9-11 Commission and other government investigations have brought to the table. And uh, exactly as expected, this program managed to avoid talking about many of those facts for the 48 minutes and, and instead spent all of that time, or the vast majority of it, trying to examine the psychology of the conspiracy theorists and why they believe what they believe. And, of course, talking to people like James Meggs and Jonathan Kay, so-called skeptics who, in fact, swallow every government lie wholesale and want you to do the same. And it was a really despicable display of journalism, journalism especially because they gave a grand total of under five minutes to Kevin Ryan to be the representative of the 9-11 Truth Movement. And, of course, Kevin Ryan did a very valiant job in the face of such absolutely overwhelming skewing of the balance of that program. 
But once again, it just goes to show that no matter what side of the left or right you're looking on in, in the controlled corporate media and in the controlled establishment media and in the controlled foundation media of all stripes, there is going to be that bias. And that is the blind spot which has allowed the shadow government and the social engineers to operate in the shadows for so many decades. But now that we are living in the world of the uncontrolled alternative media, well, they can't get away with that anymore. So once again, it's up to programs like the Corbett Report to continue exposing the things that they will not tell you about 9-11-2001. And thus, 9-11-2011 is the perfect chance for us as a group as people who are concerned about the truth, to stand up and have our voices heard. And finally, we will have a massive platform during the coming weeks as people's minds are turned back to 9-11-2001. It's a risky move by the elite to put so much focus on this anniversary because, as they know, there are so many questions which they do not have answers to and which they must resort to name-calling in order to try to avoid. Anyone who dares to talk about any of these questions is a conspiracy theorist, and that is a term which is very much wearing thin, thin as, a, as the public becomes more and more aware of what's happening around the world and more and more fed up with war after war after war in the name of an endless war against an abstract noun that will never, ever cease until the people take back their governments. On that note, today I'd like to highlight just some of the 10th anniversary events that will be taking place in the run-up to 9-11-11 and allowing you to explore them for yourself. And if you think they're interesting and if you're able to attend, then by all means do so. And so let's start with the aforementioned Kevin Ryan, who I'm sure my listeners know is one of the premier 9-11 researchers. And anyone who has read any of his very, very detailed and well-sourced articles will know that he is someone who is very much dedicated to finding the truth about 9-11 and has done some really premier research about all sorts of topics related to 9-11, from the 9-11 money trail to the uh, nanothermate program and who's behind that to uh, the NIST report. He's done a lot of work on that. Obviously, he was a whistleblower at Underwriters Laboratory, uh, coming out in the early part of uh, the first decade of the 21st century, and basically exposing how Underwriters Laboratory, which underwrote the steel at World Trade Center, was lying about uh, the results of its own exams about the World Trade Center steel and what they were capable of. So I will leave you to to go and to Google, uh, or better yet, Scroogle Kevin Ryan's name, and to find out more about him and his work if you have not done so already. And of course, we do have a previous interview with Kevin Ryan up um, from, uh, I believe, last year. So, so certainly he is uh, very much a shining example of what the 9-11 Truth Movement is capable of. And recently, he has become involved with something called the Toronto Hearings at torontohearings.org. With the more official title of the International Hearings on the Events of September 11, 2001, the Toronto Hearings promise to be a very interesting event in which a panel will be pre presented with witnesses who will be talking about various aspects of 9-11 that challenge the official story. This will be taking place over the course of four days from September 8, 2011 to September 11, 2011 in Toronto at Ryerson University. 
I would encourage everyone to go to torontohearings.org to take a look at the information there for yourself. And it's well laid out there about who's going to be uh, speaking and on what days and in what venues and who the panelists are and what the point of the hearings are. So once again, you can explore that at your leisure. But I just yesterday had the opportunity to speak to Kevin Ryan directly about his role with the Toronto hearings, what they are, and what we can expect from them. So let's take a listen to an excerpt from that interview, and of course the entire conversation is available for download right now at CorbettReport.com. Well, Kevin, as I mentioned, you are affiliated with the September 11th hearings that will be taking place in Toronto, and of course more information on those hearings are available at TorontoHearings.org, but perhaps you can start by telling us about your affiliation with the conference and, and how that came about. Okay, yeah, I am on the steering committee for the international hearings, uh, and we commonly call them the Toronto hearings. But uh, I got involved with that because uh, we had an event here in Bloomington, Indiana last year in which we invited a couple of folks from Canada, and we started brainstorming about what to do for the 10th anniversary, and these people included Graham McQueen, a professor uh, from McMaster University in Canada, and also Lori Manuel, who is um, a PhD candidate from the University of Guelph. And they presented here in Bloomington. Afterwards, we began discussing this 10th anniversary project. We, along the way, got sponsorship from the International Center for 9-11 Studies, whose director is James Gorley, a chemical engineer and an attorney from from Texas. Um, and also, we picked up another steering committee member. His name is Adnan Zuberi, a Canadian student. So we've been working quite hard for uh, a number of months trying to put together uh, these hearings which are going to uh, present evidence that the U.S. government's uh, official investigations are are seriously flawed and and have failed to describe the events of 9-11. We're going to try to single out the most weighty evidence and, and make that known publicly and especially present it to a, a distinguished panel of, ex, of, of, uh, of people who have the ability to judge uh, whether or not the investigations that the government did were satisfactory and whether or not, for example, they could recommend something going forward in terms of pursuing maybe a new investigation or some other recommendation they might have. But Basically, we're going to submit records from uh, eyewitnesses and expert witnesses over a period of four days, and this is at Ryerson University in Toronto. And uh, each of these witnesses is going to sign a, a declaration that they're, what they're presenting is true to the best of their knowledge. And, and uh, you know, hopefully we're going to use this period to kind of engage the public on the 10th anniversary and, and emphasize the fact that there are still so many unanswered questions about 9-11, and we really need to get to the bottom of of what really happened. Well, there's uh, certainly little doubt about that. So uh, are these hearings being structured as a a court trial type uh, type of basis, or is it like an international tribunal, or or how are you basing the, the, the structure of this hearing? Yeah, it's not analogous to a trial. It's it's more like a grand jury hearing. And so we're presenting evidence in such a way where the panelists can simply decide whether there's a prima facie case that uh, you know, that there's 
the official investigations are, are, are not satisfactory, that in fact they did not describe the events of 9-11. It's not a trial in that we're not, you know, going to pass a, a verdict of, of any kind. We're not, we're not looking to pass, a, a, say, someone or, or, or uh, some party is innocent or guilty. And um, we're also not going to present every side of every issue. We're not trying to cover the entire gambit of every unanswered question of 9-11. We're trying to focus in on the best evidence that we believe has the most consensus and uh, in in that way uh, get hopefully objective and unbiased distinguished panelists to give us some recommendations. We're going to write a report at, at the end. The report is going to be based on the recommendations from these panelists, and it's going to be uh, edited, final edited by the sponsor of the hearings, James Gorley, the uh, attorney from Texas. So what is the, the goal of the Toronto hearings? What would you ultimately like to see coming out of this, uh, this conference? Well, I hope that we're able to collate evidence, uh, the best evidence together and, and preserve it and uh, get one step closer to presenting um, the case that there really needs to be uh, an impartial international investigation into what happened on 9-11. And it needs to be international because really what happened on 9-11 is not at all uh, limited in impact to the cities of New York and Washington, D.C., and it's also not limited in impact to the people of the United States. It's it's really impactful to the entire world, and everybody has a stake in finding out what the truth is behind what really happened. So we're trying to break this open. We're trying to take a step outside of the United States, although we're still going to be close. Toronto is uh, actually relatively close to those uh, areas where the attacks occurred and uh, within easy traveling distance for most Americans. So at the same time, we're going to try to have an international atmosphere where, for example, we have panelists that include uh, a man who uh, is a, an honorary member of the uh, Italian Supreme Court. Uh, he's the honorary president of the Supreme Court of Italy. And uh, Fernando Impazimato is his name, and he's uh, presided over quite a few very uh, well-known cases, including the attempted assassination of Pope John Paul, um, some mafia cases and kidnapping cases and so forth. We have a, a, a distinguished psychologist, a professor emeritus uh, from Canada. We have uh, uh, one of the most well-known scientists in Canada, Richard B. Lee. We also have an American professor emeritus uh, uh, from the University of Tennessee who was, among other things, uh, uh, a member of the U.S. Army, uh, Army Corps of Engineers and so forth. We have a very good panel, we believe, is going to be impartial and objective in taking a look at this evidence and providing recommendations for moving forward in terms of getting towards the truth. Well, that is certainly exciting. So, so tell us about some of the other witnesses who will be presenting evidence to the, the panel and what types of evidence that will be presented. Okay, yeah, the, um, the schedule includes four days. As I said, we're going to begin on Thursday, September 8th at Ryerson University again in Toronto. And we're going to begin with kind of a, um, a general statement about 
what we believe uh, is wrong with the major reports. Uh, we're going to include also some comments from a 9-11 family member, Lori Van Auken, who has recorded a personal statement for this purpose. We have uh, Professor Lance DeHaven-Smith coming from Florida State University to talk about 9-11 in the context of what he calls state crimes against democracy. So this is a fairly new term, but uh, he'll be able to explain to us what he has meant when he coined that term. And David Ray Griffin, a professor from California, will uh, go over the problems with the 9-11 Commission report as he sees them. I'm also going to testify on the first day with regard to the National Institute of Standards and Technology and their report on the World Trade Center. And then we're going to move into day two. We're going to have uh, a witness on the air defense failures who uh, is still yet to be confirmed, although we believe um, that is wrapped up. It's, it's, it's kind of a personal matter until that person can confirm. We have uh, an eyewitness to the Pentagon event. We have Professor Michelle Shasadovsky from Canada, who's a well-known uh, leader and uh, in the truth movement. We have uh, Paul Zaremka talking about insider trading. Richard Gage will be there. Then on day three, we're going to have a whole day of uh, testimony related to the World Trade Center, including Graham McQueen and his uh, groundbreaking work on eyewitness evidence related to explosions. Uh, David Chandler from California, who uh, did some uh, very good work in getting this to kind of admit that they that they uh, the building seven, the third building that fell on that day, did fall in free fall acceleration for a period. We're going to have John Cole, who's done done some great experiments with thermite and other experiments with regard to the World Trade Center. Niels Herrett, as well, a professor from Denmark, is going to talk about the uh, incendiary explosive residues found in the World Trade Center dust. And then the last day, as well, we'll wrap it all up, but we'll have Peter Dale Scott talking about 9-11 and the deep state, Lori Manuel talking about psychological resistance to uh, alternative accounts to 9-11, Senator Mike Gravel will be there to talk about state deception in the past and in going forward. You know, Mike Gravel uh, read the Pentagon Papers into the national record when they were originally brought out. And then we're going to have final remarks by a 9-11 family member. And we'll have remarks throughout by the panelists, as I discussed, and by two moderators who kind of guide us through the whole process. The moderators include uh, Professor Michael Kiefer, from the University of Guelph and Professor Matthew Witt from the University of Laverne in California. So we're, we think this is going to be a really historic event, a careful and, and objective look at the evidence, and, and hopefully we're going to make a real difference in moving forward with, with an international look uh, at, at the events of 9-11. Once again, Kevin Ryan of TorontoHearings.org, and I would humbly suggest that it would behoove the listeners to check out TorontoHearings.org, and if you are lucky enough to be in the area uh, or to be able to make it to the area for September 8th through the, the 11th, I would suggest that you do consider buying tickets. At the moment, there's only the one option of a $200 ticket that will give you access to all four days and all of the witnesses and all of the hearings. But uh, as we approach 9-11-11, perhaps they might be making some of the events available as individual tickets. You'll have to keep an eye on the website for that. 
But I, I certainly think given the lineup of guests and the topics that they're going to be talking about, it would certainly seem to be well worth the money. And if I was anywhere in the area or able to make it anywhere near the area, I certainly would be, uh, would be attending if I could. But, uh, but certainly, it, it is quite a stellar lineup of guests. And one of the guests that Kevin Ryan mentioned in our little talk there was Michelle Chosodovsky, who my listeners will probably be well familiar with by now. Michelle Chosodovsky being, of course, a professor of economics at the University of Ottawa and the founder of the uh, Center for Research on Globalization at globalresearch.ca. And as I mentioned at the top of the last podcast, one of the things that is enabling me to make the jump into doing the Corbett Report full-time is the expansion of my relationship with globalresearch.ca. And I am going to be a video production uh, director for Global Research as of September 1. And that means that I will be producing three uh, video reports a week for Global Research. One of them will be akin to the Sunday update type reports that we've been doing uh, for the last few months. Uh, it will not be a Sunday update itself. It will be a, released on a different date and have a different title, but it will be that, that style. There will also be a, a brief news update each week, uh, a three to five minute news update on, on some new, a developing news story of interest. And the third video series will be an interview series that will be made available as an audio and video podcast. And all of this, of course, will be available through globalresearch.ca uh, and GRTV at uh, globalresearchtv.com. But, uh, but suffice it to say that we're definitely working on a lot of different things. And for the interview series, it will be featuring, usually by video webcam, a, an interview with a, a, either an analyst or a researcher or a journalist or someone in the news, and uh, up to one hour in length each week. And for the inaugural edition of that interview series, which will be released, in fact, later this week, so keep your eye on CorbettReport.com and GlobalResearch.ca for more on that. But the inaugural edition of this interview series features an interview with none other than Michelle Shosadovsky, uh, appropriately enough. And we're talking about 9-11-11 and the significance of the 10th anniversary. Because Global Research, of course, is not only involved in the Toronto hearings, with Michelle Chosodovsky presenting evidence uh, uh, to that panel, but Global Research is also putting on their own 9-11-2011 event, uh, this taking place on Thursday, September 8th, 2011 at Cinema du Parc uh, in Montreal. And there is a map and instructions on how to get there on the event homepage uh, that you can find through globalresearch.ca. And of course, I'll put in a link through the documentation section of today's episode. But uh, it's going to be a very interesting event. Uh, there, We apparently have confirmed that Cynthia McKinney, Wayne Madsen, and Michelle Josadowski will all be talking. And, uh, and they will be talking about, respectively, well, Cynthia McKinney will be talking about 9-11 Truth, The War at Home and Abroad. Wayne Manson will be talking about media manipulation and the fear of terrorism. And Professor Chosodovsky Professor will be talking about 9-11 and the global war on terrorism. And also scheduled to be speaking is Mahdi Darius Nazamroya, who will be talking about today's 9-11 war machine, report from the Middle East War Theater. And it's un really unclear how or whether he will be able to make that report, whether he will be in person or whether he will be able to contribute in any way. Unfortunately, as this is being recorded, as many listeners might know, Mahdi uh, Nazamroya is reporting 
from Tripoli, but there have been some very serious turns in Tripoli, and the reporters at the hotel where he was staying have been have had their lives threatened, and there have been all sorts of shenanigans going on. So I'll direct you to some videos that were taking place, that were uh, video interviews that were taking place on RT at RT.com over the past week with Mahdi and with the journalists there about a very, very serious unfolding situation and uh, the stability there and even even the reporters' lives are still in danger. So it's a very serious uh, time right now and uh, it's not sure at all whether Mahdi Nazamroya will be able to deliver any type of report to that conference. Also scheduled to make an appearance at that conference is, well, yours truly, in a manner of speaking, I will be putting together a video uh, that they will be playing at that uh, at that event called Remembering the Tragic Events of September 11th, 2001. And again, that's taking place on September 8th, 2011, and tickets are available through globalresearch.ca. Please look in the documentation for the link to that. But right now we're going to listen to uh, an ex- excerpt of my interview with Michelle Chosodovsky, which again will be published later this week. So let's take a listen to that, talking about 9-11-11 and the significance of this 10th anniversary. But today I actually wanted to start by by talking about something that's on the minds of many of my listeners and viewers and, and people out there right now as we approach the 10th anniversary of the tragic events of September 11th and all of the incredible things that have that have come from those events, those those world changing events, and um, and that's something that I know has uh, has quite an intimate history with GlobalResearch.ca, as uh, as I understand it, Global Research was actually launched just two days before September 11th, and it almost immediately became a locus for independent and alternative reporting about uh, the developing official narrative of that time. So so perhaps you can take us back to the uh, September 2001 and and setting up the this website and how things developed from there well it was a very uh, important um, landmark in my life certainly um, on the 9th of September uh, following a crash course in FTP uh, transfers uh, um, with a young man who who actually was uh, physically handicapped and he came on a wheelchair to my home and he said well do it this way and and we got it going. And so on the 9th of September, um, essentially operating with front page and, and very rudimentary uh, uh, software, we launched the website. Uh, I manned it from my home. Um, it was, um, I, I updated it. Uh, I, had, I had a student, actually philosophy, was helping me with the, with the, with the postings. And um, this was on the 9th of uh, the 9th of September 2001 um, and then I recall vividly on the morning of September 11 I was driving to the office uh, at the University of Ottawa and uh, I listened to the announcements on the radio and when I got to the university um, a little bit before 11 o'clock um, the Bush administration had already uh, declared without any evidence that Al-Qaeda, with the support of the Taliban government of Afghanistan, were behind the 9-11 attacks. And this statement was actually made by, by um, George Tenet, the, the head of the CIA at the moment. Uh, at, at that particular time, 
And then uh, in the evening at 9.30 p.m., um, they convened a war cabinet. They convened a war cabinet, which was integrated by a select number of top intelligence and military advisors, and then they launched the war on Afghanistan, essentially. Uh, they launched the war on terrorism, and the following day, uh, as, as some people might recall, uh, NATO actually corroborated uh, the under under the articles of the Washington uh, of the of the Washington uh, Treaty, uh, which is the main document of NATO. They said that Afghanistan had attacked the United States. That's essentially what it meant, and uh, and uh, the U.S. media in chorus was calling for military inter intervention against Afghanistan without a shred of evidence as to as to the involvement of, of a foreign country in these attacks. And then barely uh, four weeks later, on the 7th of October, Afghanistan was bombed and invaded by U.S. troops. And uh, we, had, we were led to believe that the decision to go to war uh, had, been taken, uh, had been taken on the spur of the moment, on, on the evening of 9-11, by the war cabinet in response to the attacks uh, by a foreign country, uh, which was supporting Al-Qaeda, and, uh, and that was, in, in fact, the initial initiation of this, of, uh, of this war on terrorism. And it was also the initiation of the big lie, uh, because Afghanistan had nothing to do with these 9-11 attacks. There was absolutely no evidence. Uh, and, in fact, uh, there was no evidence even that Al-Qaeda was behind the 9-11 attacks. Um, and in fact, confirmed subsequently, um, Osama bin Laden had been hospitalized uh, on the 9th of September um, in a military hospital in Rawalpindi. Uh, and anybody who knows Rawalpindi knows that it's swarming with U.S. military advisors. So that if he had been treated for kidney his kidney problems on the 9th of September, released. Uh, one or one day later, it's not entirely clear when he was released, uh, he could not have organized these 9-11 attacks from his hospital bed in, in, the, you know, in the city of Rawalpindi, which is essentially the, the, the headquarters of the Pakistani military, Pakistani intelligence, uh, and um, uh, a country which has very close military and intelligence ties with with the United States of America. But what disturbed me most, I think, in, in, those, um, in those events of 9-11 is that uh, several things. One, the public uh, was not informed uh, by the media that a large-scale theater operation against Afghanistan cannot be planned on the spare of the moment and executed in a matter of three or four weeks, okay, which was ultimately the case. The war cabinet declares war on Afghanistan in the evening of 9-11, and then three, let's say three, four, four weeks later, uh, on the 7th of October, Afghanistan is bombed and invaded. And anybody who has the minimal understanding of military planning will know that that type of uh, operation takes months and months and sometimes years of preparation. But at least several months of preparation would have been required 
to wage that type of, of large-scale military operation against uh, Afghanistan, which suggests that the planning of the war in Afghanistan predated 9-11, and that 9-11, in effect, was the pretext and the justification to wage a war which was already on the drawing board of the Pentagon, which was in the pipeline, which was in an advanced stage, a state of readiness. And that is very important. Whatever one's view on 9-11, 9-11 provided the pretext and the justification for waging a war on humanitarian grounds with the full support of world public opinion. And I should mention also the endorsement of progressive intellectuals, um, progressive left-wing intellectuals who made the case for a retaliation against terrorism on moral and ethical grounds, uh, the just cause. Uh, I recall uh, uh, in Canada how uh, progressive organizations, trade unions, uh, NGOs, everybody was supportive of, uh, of the just cause uh, military doctrine, namely to accept and uphold um, at face value uh, the response of the U.S. military and its NATO allies directed against um, an impoverished country in Central Asia, namely Afghanistan. Um, and uh, that, of course, uh, was the, the purpose of 9-11, ultimately. It was also to launch the war on terrorism. It was to launch uh, the Patriot legislation. It was to launch the national security agenda, the police state. And, uh, and I, I think essentially what we have to do is to, to go back in history and examine the extent to which this event has changed the course of history um, and, uh, uh, and uh, has modified in a very fundamental way U.S. military doctrine. Michelle Chosodowski of globalresearch.ca. And once again, listeners are encouraged to check into After 9-11, 10 Years of War, a special commemorative conference that Global Research is hosting in Montreal on September 8, 2011, and featuring Cynthia McKinney, Wayne Madsen, Michelle Chosodowski, and hopefully Madi Darius Nazimroya. As I stressed at the top of today's podcast, there are many, many events taking place all around the world in commemoration of the 10th anniversary of 9-11, and many, many opportunities will be presented for those who are interested in exposing the truth about 9-11 and asking for answers to the unanswered questions about 9-11. So I couldn't possibly hope to cover all of them in this episode and I'm only suggesting some of the ones that have come across my desk. And of course, you are encouraged to do your own research about things that will be taking place in your own area. And if there is nothing that you find appropriate, perhaps you could consider creating it, because that really is the point. But as I've always stressed, 9-11, as in incredibly interesting as it is, was only one day. And although it was a very eventful day, those events really are, represent nothing more nor less than a nexus point. And it branches both backwards and forwards in time to connect people and events and to, to really expose a lot of the things that have been going on for a very long time. But the point, then, isn't that 9-11 is the be-all and end-all of truth, obviously. We still need to live our lives in this current day and age, and now as we get past the 10th anniversary and these moments of uh, societal reflection on the meaning of 9-11 become fewer and farer between, 
we have to find other ways of really expanding from what we're doing. And of course, the Corbett Report has always been dedicated to finding the truth no matter where it lies and no matter what date it comes out. So in that spirit, there are, of course, events that will be taking place after 9-11-2011 that well, not necessarily directly relate to 9-11 itself, but really just help us to focus our activism on different ways and means that will be effective even after all of this 9-11-2011 hubbub dies down. And on that note, there is a very exciting idea that's come across my desk recently called the Non-Compliance Project. Now, there is an official website for this, but I think more, it's more valuable as an idea than as a website. So uh, we'll go over the, the website where you can find more information about that in the uh, following interview. But suffice it to say, I recently had the chance to talk to Brian Smith, a former uh, contributor to this podcast. He was interviewed several months ago, and he hosts a radio show on tnsradio.ning.com on Friday nights at 9 p.m. Dublin time, emanating from the Emerald Isle. And Brian Smith has uh, latched on to this idea of the non-compliance project, and so it was my honor to speak to him yesterday about this project and what it entails, who will be participating in it, and how they can do so. So before I talk uh, too much about it beforehand, let's just get into an excerpt from this interview. And again, of course, the interview is downloadable in its entirety on CorbettReport.com. So perhaps you can start talking about what this idea is, where it comes from, and where it's heading. Yeah, well, it came about, there's um, a guy I know, he's based in Scotland, um, Chris McClelland is his name, and he's on a kind of a sister site to TNS Radio called Scottish, Scottish, sorry, ScottishSovereigns.ning.com, uh, I think, or ScottishSovereignsOnTheLand.ning.com, and uh, I think he just put the idea out that we should, you know, because there's... There's been a few things in the past where there's been a kind of a non-compliance day or, you know, boycott the bank for a day or something like that. And, you know, personally speaking, I don't know if they were really that effective because people don't know about it and, you know, it's only one day. So, you know, what matter? You know, who cares, you know? But for a week, I think a week is a different thing because it means you've got, you have to plan this a little bit. What, I'm, what we're trying to say is to people is the week before, just stock up with enough food and provisions for a week. Take a week off work. If you can take a week's holidays, great. If you can't, even consider taking a week unpaid leave. If you've got kids at school, take them out of school. Don't use the banks. Don't use the big uh, supermarkets, your Walmarts and your Tesco's and whatever. Uh, stay at home with your family. Go out for picnics, go out for walks up the mountains, go to the beach. Um... Even, you know, try and not drive if you can, you know, walk uh, or cycle. Just, you know, you don't have to do all of that, but just do something. And I think if we got, you know, we've, we've put the word out and it's gone worldwide. It's gone global now. And just if, if this all comes together, I mean, it'll make an impact. Now, I don't know how successful it'll be. Uh, I hope it will be successful, and if it is, it's not going to stop there. We'll do another one, maybe in a month or two after that, maybe in November, maybe a week before Christmas. That would be a good one, wouldn't it? 
It certainly would. Well, well, absolutely, especially during the height of the, the consumerist uh, holiday that uh, Christmas has exactly. become. Yeah, exactly. Well, and again, this is another situation in which it's like a muscle we have to continue to flex. And just because we can't lift the thousand pound weight the first time doesn't mean we can't do it, you know, after years and years of training. So again, I think this is a great idea and it has a lot of, it has the potential to become a huge and, and hugely devastating thing for the globalists who are trying to enslave us. And I think I understand the, the concept behind it, but perhaps you could describe in your own words why it's so important for people to start removing themselves from the system. Um, it's important because um, pe well, people are living in a kind of a state of fear at the moment, and there's a very easy solution to all of this, and this is what I think where non-compliance comes in. We stop feeding the beast. That's what they're, that's what they're afraid of. They don't mind uh, us talking about all this stuff on, you know, in the alternative media. They can put up with that. But as long, you know, they, what they don't want is to actually people getting out there and doing something, doing something that's going to hurt them. And this will hurt them. If it is, uh, you know, once people start realizing that, you know, these governments, these corporations are not out for us, for the ordinary people. They're out to screw us. Okay? So all we have to do is say, right, withdraw our consent, just remove ourselves from this. And we'll say, well, we'll do it for a week. And then we'll do it for two weeks. And we'll keep doing it. it. And let it grow. And once we all come together, because that's the main thing, once people all around the world come together and do this, you know, what can they do? You know? Yeah. Good question. What can they do? What will they do? And, and that's, that's also part of the point. I mean, flushing them out to, to make them act like the dictators they are so that they, yeah. that can be exposed for the, the people who are still in denial. So I think it's win-win in a lot of ways. So, but as I, you know, it's, as I say, we're trying to get it out globally and hopefully that people will pick up on it. And, you know, there's nowhere in the world now where people are not suffering. You know, we're all, doesn't matter whether you're in Africa, Asia, Europe, America. It doesn't matter. People are suffering now all over the world. Uh, we're feeling this, um, this global empire is creeping up on us all. And unless we stand up and be strong, you know, we're, you know, we're doomed. We, but we, I'll tell you, but if we do stand up, if we do stand up to this, we can win. And I feel we can win. I completely concur, and that's exactly why I'm here doing what I'm doing, and I'm sure that's why you're doing what you're doing, because we can win, and we just have to stand up and start asserting our rights. And uh, and I think so much of what we're seeing going on in the world today stems from, of course, as we're approaching the 10th anniversary of 9-11, I think it stems from, from that as a type of catalyzing event. And that's not to say that all of these problems started or, or really culminated on that day, but but so many things came to a head and, and really started to affect our world there. So as we're Approaching the 10th anniversary of 9-11, perhaps you can talk about, about the effect of that and, and how it's really brought us to the point where we're at now. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, when it happened at first, I, I found it, you know, I was found it just hard to kind of understand how it happened. And I kind of went with the so-called official story for a while. But then I started hearing a few things myself that, uh, you know, something wasn't right and I mean, the way, the way I looked at it was that it was, it, it was used as an excuse to invade Iraq and Afghanistan, which, you know, obviously happened. But then I, I noticed there was a bit more to this. And I just kind of started asking, you know, digging and doing a bit more research. And uh, I found out there was a far bigger <laughs> agenda to this. And I mean, it was, it was a kind of a, um, a major 
uh, moment in, in our history, really. I mean, it kind of, it was the final kind of, uh, well, not the final action, but it was just an action to say that, you know, we're now, com- you know, we're now coming to get you. We're, this is what we're going to impose on the world. And if you look what's happened since, you know, we've got wars everywhere. Uh, we've got now in the middle of a total economic collapse. Uh, our rights are being taken away. Um, we, we're just seeing the, um, the corporate uh, fascist empire beginning to take over. And it's all linked in. Everything is linked in. Uh, so 9-11, although it was one singular event and a tragic event at that, but just, just look at what's happened since. And uh, so I think this is the whole, the, where the non-compliance week thing comes in. It's like the day after, if it's the 12th to the 18th of September. So it's the day after the 10th anniversary. And I think it's, a, you know, for people who, who know what happened on that day and want to, you know, what, and they've seen what, they, what has happened since, this is a chance now to say, right, we've had enough of this. We've had 10 years of this nonsense and we're not putting up with it anymore. Once again, Brian Smith of tnsradio.ning.com promoting the idea of the non-compliance project, which I wholeheartedly think is a great idea, and I think it's something that, although we can focus our initial efforts on September 12th to the 18th of this year, I think, once again, this is something that will have to be continued, and we'll have to continue flexing that muscle until we can gradually train ourselves to do it more and more, because I think unhooking ourselves from the the system that we've been put into is very much one side of the coin of what will be our eventual liberation. And the other side, of course, is to build up that community that we want to see, that we have to build up and bring into place the, the society that we want before we can really get rid of the society that we don't want. So absolutely, I very much recommend that people do participate in this non-compliance project and boycott the system in whatever way they're able for whatever length of time they're able in whatever way they're able and to spread awareness i think that's the other side of the coin to to use that week as an opportunity not just to disengage from the system but to re-engage with your community and to find ways to connect with people and to redouble your efforts to spread this information so while boycotting work for a week might be the answer for some people well if my work is going to be this uh, corbett report well then i should be working twice as hard during the non-compliance week because the corbett report is an in and of itself an act of non-compliance and spreading truth and information is one of the most valuable activities that we can be doing in these very grave and serious times as we talk about the extension and the the uh, even further extension of the wars in the Middle East and the possible uh, bringing about of a World War III type scenario as we enter these extremely grave times absolutely access to information once again becomes the absolute key for our society and helping to get the information out there to other people becomes one of the linchpins by which we can really truly start to free ourselves from the system that we've been placed into certainly ever since 9-11-2001 provided the justification for the never-ending war on terror. That's it for this week. I am your host, James Corbett, thanking you for joining me and asking you to join me next week as we continue our exploration of 9-11 in the lead-up to 9-11-11.